0: I'm Natasha Norman, and this is the Latitude Art Podcast. Jessica Bosworth-Smith is a painter of sumptuous interiors, eclectic exteriors, sprawling jungles, and cats at leisure. She uses her artwork to both re-experience places she has travelled to and to create extravagant and impractical scenes. In our conversation, we discuss Jessica's obsession with extravagance, the trials of art school, and what contentment can look like for a contemporary woman. This heartwarming conversation generously shares valuable insights into embracing one's strengths and how self-discovery can enable creativity to flourish. I was stalking you on Instagram <laughs> in preparation for this interview.
1: Yes, all good All good interviews start with a good
0: stalk, I'm yes. sure. <laughs> and I saw the most beautiful photograph of... <laughs> You wearing an outfit with with the classic Bosworth Tigers on it. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, that's beautiful. And the, the caption was quite cryptic. It said, um, <laughs> yes. um, coming soon or collab in progress. Ever. So I don't know if you want to
1: like share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, it's actually a great place to start because my career kind of, and my current style actually started with repeat patterns for clothing. Oh. So I was doing very um, like abstract work. And then I was approached by an American company on one of these like working platforms where they farm out production and things to cheap labor. Yeah. And, <laughs> and they were like, oh, we love this. Can you do some of this? And I started doing like painting elements and creating repeat patterns for them. And that's kind of where my current style started. So when it got to my, my second solo show with 131A Gallery in Woodstock, while in the run-up to it, I was like, oh, you know, I've always wanted to like, collab with my sister, Sadie, who's a designer. She does wedding dresses, Sadie with Atelier. And I said to her, I was like, I know you're busy. I know I'm busy, but how cool would it be to have a dress with my design on it? Amazing. Um, yeah, for the show opening. So we we managed to hustle at the last minute to get it together. And The reason it's quite cryptic is that my sister and I have been talking about collaborating for years now. We've always said we wanted to do it. And the response to the dress has been so positive. We are really keen to collab and to put it all together. So that is in the works. Watch the space. Yes, watch the space. Um, The reason, again, for cryptic is because I'm learning that manufacture takes forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, once I've done the painting and set the repeat up, there's a lot more that has to happen. Ideally before Christmas, if not before, at least before the season really comes to a close. So people who do buy the dress have an opportunity to wear it. Yeah, in yeah. this
0: beautiful weather which we're we're enjoying today. Yeah, absolutely. As I was <laughs> coming round the mountain to to Latitude Apart Hotel, I thought this really is a good day to be interviewing Jessica Bosworth because <laughs> all her paintings speak of this this warm, relaxed. <laughs> atmosphere and I want to say fun but it's that you've you've also got these strange sinister slightly sinister elements in there yep which is fascinating but there's definitely the sense of like from the surface looking down a kind of overall calm and leisure
1: yes (laughs) yeah I don't know what it is that draws me to those kinds of uh, reference images but yeah it's a it's something that I enjoy depicting I've spent a lot of time looking for references specifically on Pinterest. Pinterest is my main resource. And there's something about like the chaos of putting pattern on pattern, like crazy tiles, crazy foliage, but then depicting scenes of like complete calm that I really enjoy. And it's also the sense of wanting to have a leisure space where you're the only person there. Something that can only really be afforded to you if you are stupidly wealthy which most of us will never be so it's the sort of aspirational aspect to my work that I end up kind of coming back to over and over again
0: but it reminds me of a of a movie or you know why do we enjoy watching films about people (laughs) in amazingly beautiful places you know from spy thrillers to romances yes you you kind of want visually want to be in those spaces yourself or imagine yourself there yeah so
1: that's almost something that you're drawing on in your work exactly you've actually hit the nail on the head so I did a lot of traveling when I was younger. I au pair'd, um in Paris and did loads of traveling as much as I could. I lived in Istanbul for a couple months. Ah. Yeah. And yeah, while traveling, I, I kind of got the sense of like the slippage between the, the idea of a place and the actuality of a place specifically in Paris, you'd like step off the metro, metro and be like, it's beautiful. It's the Champs Elysees. Like the lights are on. It's amazing. What's that sound? And it's the largest rat you've ever seen like tearing at a trash bag. <laughs> like, you will be walking and be like, it's beautiful. And then you stub your toe in the metro and you realize you could lose the toe because there's like stalactites of filth coming off the ceiling. <laughs> yes. and in summer, the place smells horrific because there's just everywhere was, yeah <laughs> yeah but open sewers I, I remember yeah, that exactly. in italy yes
0: like in venice you're like what is that smell yes
1: yeah. and the thing that was so wild to me was the people getting off the tour buses were they were so ready for their like romantic parisian experience but the whole time while you're trying to like have this moment there are thousands of people trying to have the same moment as you your instagram pictures are never going to look as good as the ones that people have like you know set up on like a long exposure to get rid of all the people like It's this weird thing where, and I came across it when you find people where they have this almost moment of heartbreak when they get off the bus because they're like waiting for this romanticized idea of a place and they get there and it fails to meet the expectation. Yeah. So through my work, I found what I end up doing is I end up creating spaces that I want to have and own and be in. And by putting it onto a surface, I can embody it and the viewer can embody it, but it's it's removed. It can't be accessed. It can't be destroyed by reality. It, it only ever lives as a, as a fantasy. And that's pretty much what my work is mainly about, is this fantasy of a space where, you know, you can have piles of like m- mismatched things and it doesn't need to be a space that's real, even functional. And I think that's something I and yeah, I, I draw to.
0: Yeah, and, y- and yet you are very aware that that kind of space is an imaginary so you know, th- there's that snake that comes in, yes, or or the tiger that that's sitting on a in a pool or on a deck chair, yes, <laughs> uh, you, and it just sort of sort of says, you know, whoa, this is aspirational, imaginative, fantastical, but there's a sinister sort of side. Like we can't actually always um, always be in this space.
1: Yes, exactly. And I found that the more and more I work on things, and the more I kind of like really lean into my like current interest in place I'm finding that the yeah the more sinister elements are coming in and I think that's because I there's like I think everyone has like a bit of darkness inside them that I love the feeling of that like slightly like it's perfect and beautiful but there's something just a little bit off kilter which I find really interesting. Yeah I know what immediately springs
0: to mind especially with the Um, foliage and the Mm. pool scenes is is the
1: very recent TV series White Lotus. Yes, I'm so glad you picked up on that because, (laughs) yeah, that was one of the main inspirations. I loved the way that they use this, like, visual language of this. It's so beautiful, the crashing waves, but there's something just so wrong about it that I really loved, and I'm so glad that that's communicated in my work. Cool. Yeah, I mean...
0: (laughs) We won't go down the line of like how twisted because
1: (laughs) I'm kind of obsessed with how twisted it is. Like I think for me, I think because I'm like a millennial. Like we've been sold this fantasy that like you know we're all just temporarily embarrassed billionaires. When in in reality, like we are never going to have this aspirational lifestyle. We've grown up with this like you know MTV Cribs and like oh the celebrities are just like us. It's like no, baby like we are going to be like, we're grinding here. We're like, we're just trying to keep our heads above water, keep our heads above the debt, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the inevitable apocalypse, like global warming, whatever. Like, and there's this distraction of the hyper wealthy that lets us believe that the fantasy can be real for us. But when you get into that space, there's like a degree of, of surrealism that comes in with such immense wealth, which I find really interesting.
0: Yeah. But like the emperor's new clothes or... Yes, exactly. The kind of lives of royalty or, you know, just there's th- that there's a remove from from being actually in touch.
1: Yes, there's a de- complete and total detachment from reality where your biggest problems are just like, they're so unfathomable to like the everyday person. And I think that there's that that aspirational, that like that lifestyle where everyone wants to have this extreme wealth, extreme luxury. And I love the idea of like painting spaces like that, that are somewhat just not 100% correct or right. Yeah. Yeah, because it is, the
0: fact that it's removed from reality is what makes people who don't have it aspire to it because you're you're kind of trying to dream yourself out of your debt and your misery by
1: by dreaming yourself into these spaces. Exactly. I mean we've all got Champagne Taste Coca-Cola budgets at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's been on my mind recently, especially with like everyone around me like doing the the next life path thing, which is like get married, have kids, buy a house, and like current cost of living, like how can one do that? So that's been really interesting for me is the the like disconnect from reality with with this kind of life that we've been sold.
0: Well, this uh, something we've inherited from an older generation. Yes, you know you have to have a house. Yes, to have your two point five kids and your dog. You know. Y- you know, whereas <laughs> yeah. like the majority of people in the world are in flats using public parks. You know, like exactly, yeah. Um, but but somehow there is this idea that you know that's what we need to be happy or to be um, settled or whatever yes. it is. So I mean, you you've quite openly come. Not not against that, but you've kind of owned the idea of being a cat woman. I mean,
1: yes, a cat
0: lady. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is what your latest show, your title of your show was.
1: Yeah, so I, I'd wanted to do it for my first show, but uh, the work didn't quite fit for it. So this time around, I decided, I was like, I want to do the show. It feels so important for me to kind of own this, this moniker of cat person. Originally, it was going to be cat lady, but I was like, I don't want it to be gendered, because I think mm. that there's a... There's something about like cat people that's inherently subversive and also interesting. Could you expand on that? That Yeah, um, I listened to a really interesting podcast episode. I do a lot of consuming of podcasts <laughs> while I work. And on This Is Love, which is an amazing, amazing podcast, there's a woman who goes and interviews this retired opera singer um, or an actress. I can't remember which, but she volunteers at a cat sanctuary. And they talk about how dictators don't like cats because cats can't be controlled. And cats are also a great lesson in consent. If a cat doesn't want you to hold it, it's going to let you know. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) yes. And um, there's something so interesting about like cats being so like gendered and there's something so I find so infuriating about the idea that it's so tragic that a woman would be or a person would die alone with lots of cats. I'm like, what is wrong with being alone and having pets and investing in you know, a a lifestyle that's not like kids, husband, you know, dog, dog. (laughs) Yes. And, And it's been interesting to me because what's been wild is I'm, I've, you know, I, I've been single during the whole like genesis of online dating. And the biggest drawback is when I say I'm a cat person, my matches go down significantly. Really? Yes. And I've been told, oh, you are single. The best way to get them is to get a date is to go hang out at the dog park. Get yourself a dog. Guys love dogs. And I'm like, Really? really? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's been a very interesting experience. So I mean, that's raw data
0: yep. with a kind of um, prejudice. Yes, against, exactly. So there's this this very strong idea about what a woman who has cats is like.
1: Exactly. And it's usually like they're kind of sad, they're kind of weird. I actually quoted the tweet that I think was Matt, I can never pronounce his name and I don't I care to learn. He's the Florida representative, Matt Gates, or whatever his name is. Um, and after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, he tweeted this disgusting tweet where it was like, all these sad millennial women are leaving the protest to go home to their microwave dinner, no Bumble matches and their cats. And like, I was just like, that sounds like a bloody nice evening if you ask me. <laughs> yes. We'll take a book a, a, a page out of Taylor Swift's book. I mean, she's yes. always like I'm going home to my cats. And I mean, that woman is amazing. She's amazing. She is on the top of her game. She is she is aspirational. She's um, doing what she does best. She's she is she, a, she, she also
0: pays people well.
1: Yes. She has an
0: incredible team. She's so dedicated to
1: her yes. craft. And like, I lo- yeah, and I loved I watched I finally watched the Miss Americana documentary, and she's so open about the fact that she's like I have to be the best. I'm a perfectionist, but I'm also a people pleaser. And she had this whole like metamorphosis from this, this like young girl who's just trying her best to be liked to actually now owning that she is this cat lady with a messy love life. And if you break up with her, she's going to write a song about you. And you know what? That's okay. So I'm really enjoying this, like this eras that she's having. And I feel like it's a really nice blueprint for People that don't want to do the traditional, you know, get yourself a boyfriend, then a husband, then a house, 2.5 kids and a dog. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah with, a, with a dog or two. <laughs> yeah,
0: No, and, and I think it's it's really wonderful. I mean, one of the things I've really enjoyed about this these last 10 years, I suppose, has mm. been the slow overturn of things that have been sort of shoved away as being um, silly or, yes. or dumb or – and and from gender to lifestyle to choices, but bi- biological choices. Yeah. You know, it's it's a really fascinating space to be in where the, these things are being turned over, and it's like, well, why can't this thing be a happy place? Yeah, you
1: know, who's to say it's not? Exactly. You know? I mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, I go down the Instagram Reels rabbit hole, and obviously, some content is complete garbage, but I've come across some really interesting things where people talk about case studies where they're like women who don't get married actually have a better life expectancy. They're talking about how much extra labor a woman does emotionally and housewise, like how unequal the labor is within a relationship or a marriage. There's a lot of talk about how, how actually there's a lot of studies and a lot of t- people talking about how great being single and having independence and having agency. And that's been really positive because I think for a long time we've had this echo chamber that the only way to be valid is to be partnered. Yes. Yeah. So that's something that I'm kind of. It's taken me a long time, a lot of therapy, to realize that you <laughs> yes. know what, I'm single, I'm alone. But you know what, I'm actually not alone because I've got, I've got my work, I've got my cats, um, I'm four <laughs> now, <laughs> um, and I've got my people. And if I don't, I don't have to follow this blueprint that's been set out for me if it doesn't make me happy. Yeah, but I also
0: think there's there's an opportunity to find love and connection is more acceptable to find love and connection in ways that are not conventional like exactly. um y- you can be the adoring best friend aunt exactly t- to someone else's kids and i guarantee you they will they will love you yeah
1: exactly everyone's <laughs> like you should have kids so you don't die, like you don't die alone i'm like we all die alone yeah like <laughs> your child might not like you exactly. in a while you might not like yeah. your kid yeah. i mean you might i mean for me i found that it's something I, I think about quite regularly is how rewarding my female friendships and my queer friendships have been Yes. as opposed to how damaging my romantic relationships have been. And I found that there's this so much emphasis put on romance and put on romantic partners and life partners. And where I'm like, why is it that we can't do have this, like, you know, this kind of relationship with friends where they are such an integral part of your life. they, you know, they support you, they build you up, they support your, your career, your decisions. I mean, also, they're your chosen family. Like exactly. I said, there was a
0: lovely thing of a group of friends who retired together in a yes, home. Yes, I, I was like, oh, yeah, totally yes. do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pick,
1: pick the people you're going to grow old with.
0: <laughs> 100%. I'm,
1: I'm here for it. I mean, so recently I had my best friend and her, her partner move in with us with me, and it has been the absolute best oh fantastic yeah I was like oh I'm gonna I'm getting to the point now where housemates I maybe need to live live alone or like hold on to this rental until I get like a romantic partner but now my best friend has moved in and it's the best amazing I was like like, this is so much fun (laughs) I'm having like every day I'm like I'm having the best time I get to hang out with my bestie every day it's perfect (laughs) So coming back to your yes. four cats, are you going to spill their names? Yes. So we've got a lovely blended family. Okay. <laughs> yes. Because yes. obviously best friend and her partner, they came with two cats. So she's got small baby who is 18, angry. She's going to stand her ground. She's the matriarch. She is ancient. She's got like all eight lives have been done. <laughs> We're just yes. waiting for the ninth one to like get ticked off and then it's game over. She's very sweet. And then her partner, he has a year old cat called charlie which is your standard issue tabby cat very sweet and then my my cat who i have had since 2019 is evie and she's a calico so with that comes all the attitudes so she growls at you while you pet her you can pet her with your eyes <laughs> <laughs> she's very mercur- temperamental and mercurial which i'm here for and uh recently friends of ours immigrated and couldn't take their cat pavel with them oh. So Pavel's a uh, Russian Blue, and he is the most perfect idiot. He is beautiful, <laughs> but, like thick as two short planks. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the best. Yeah, and many do they cats. do
0: they feature in your paintings? I mean, do they sit yes. still long enough?
1: I can't <laughs> Luckily, I I think most pet people know that like everyone keeps so many pictures of their pets on their phones. So I've got an endless upwelling of of reference materials. So the three additional cats are fairly new. So they moved in about two, three months ago. But Evie has featured uh, in my work quite a bit. Um, Actually, one of the pieces, the title piece from my show Cat Person was like a self-portrait, but it's me holding the cat up in front of my face. Yes. 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 I love that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm not a big fan of drawing faces for some reason. So I can do it. I just don't like to. So anytime I can obscure a face with like a cat or a book, I'm going to take it. (laughs) (laughs) And then another thing that I enjoyed also from
0: from what I saw of your show was the move to painting on furniture. Yes, I mean that was very white lotus for me. Though yes, kind of like <laughs> cupboards and yes. So how did that happen? Was that yeah. just a natural progression off the canvas? Or
1: yes. Yeah, so I, it's interesting because obviously, like I mentioned, I use Pinterest like a hell of a lot, and I will. I've, I'm like very organized. My boards are all categorized, and the one thing I keep doing is I'll add like design features so if I'm doing a composition that has like a table and a chair and a cupboard I've got a whole board that's just tables chairs cupboards and while I was looking at that I found this reference for these folk painted furniture pieces hmm. and I was like oh I'd love to paint one in my paintings but I'm worried that it won't read as a piece of furniture because it's got a it's a painted painted it's thing. a painted painted thing and yeah. I was like that's cool but it might not read And then I have a lovely studio partner, which is actually my sister's fiance. He's a photographer. So we share a space and on the side when he's not shooting, he loves to collect weird, unusual antique pieces. So when we were going through, I was like talking about like the things I wanted to do for my show and, you know, the paintings I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, I love this cupboard, but I don't know if it's going to work on this piece. And he's like, well, why don't we just find you a cupboard? You should just paint a cupboard. Wow. So that was like a you know, you kind of the glass shatters in your brain, you're like,
0: ah you know how we have these barriers. <laughs> yeah. And then, it's like, yeah. oh, I
1: didn't think about that. And sometimes that you need like the other person to like, you know, kind of hold the, the page up and be like, look, you've got it here already, you just gotta put two and two together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started collecting interesting, unusual pieces as the show date came closer and closer. And yeah, right at the end, I was like, okay, I've got two weeks. Uh, let's paint some furniture. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. They're stunning. Yeah. And they're so transformative. Thank you. Yeah. I was a bit worried because it is a risk because it's a functional object. It's a found object. And I wasn't sure how it would look at the end. And also, I don't know if you've had this where you, you start in a new medium or something and your brain just can't put the two together mm-hmm. for like a couple of days or a couple of weeks if you're unlucky. Mm-hmm. And then eventually some the you get you see the right reference or you see the right thing or you watch the right thing and you're like... And it clicks. And it clicks, yeah. yeah. So that happened to me, but it was like... <laughs> it was Slightly stressful. Very stressful. I was like, okay, this either has to work or um, I have to scrap the whole idea and paint like five more paintings. And I was like, by that point, I was like, I am done with... I I was like I'm so tired. <laughs> Let's just do the furniture and see how.
0: Yes, because I remember speaking to you, um at some point about how you go about your paintings, and it's incredibly methodical. Yes, you you, you mentioned you were you were almost af- not afraid, but like that was that was like your your way of dealing with yes, uh, yeah. What do you call it? Maxim
1: not minimalist, but maximalist. M- maximalist. Yeah. You know? So yes, I I've I'm under the pre- I've I seem to feel, the more I meet other artists, I'm aware that I'm maybe a bit of an outlier. I'm hyper, um, I'm hyper, like, uh, what's the word? Like organized, like I'm someone who needs structure. So a way in which I'll do my paintings is I will find a reference. If I'm feeling unsure about that, I will do a bit of photoshopping, sketch everything out, trace everything out like with because I do pencil and then I go over with gray just to kind of give me solid lines that I can then work with and I will make a to-do list of every element on the piece like everything so I'll have this long to-do list and as I finish each and I'll give a tally at the end and as I finish each element I'll like tick it off so it's just a case of okay today I have to do five I've got 25 things to do on this painting I'm going to do three today five tomorrow Five the day off. And it's the only way that I feel like I'm getting anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Because like you can get very overwhelmed with like how much you have to do on a piece because everything is so detailed. So, yeah. it's To-do a, lists.
0: And, and then there's the end of the week. It's like,
1: look what I did. Long yeah. list. <laughs> tick, 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 yeah. tick, tick, tick. Or more likely, which is, I'm going to finish this painting this week and you paint all week and you come in early and then the end of the week comes and you look at your to-do list and you're like, I have not made any progress. Oh, shame. <laughs> yeah, I think my problem is I've always vastly underestimated how long everything will take. So I'm like, I'll get this done in a week, and then three weeks later, I am still slogging away.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and and how you came to that process was interesting because I remember at one point you told me that you studied
1: art, and then you were like, yes. "This is not for me." Yes. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Talk about <laughs> trauma. I don't know if, if yeah if you've had the experience of of studying art, yes. but I I found it to be very hard because they really want to just take you down and break you down to your most elemental and not much building back up
0: happens.
1: So I found the whole process to be very, yeah, it was very jarring because I mean, some of the most talented artists that came through art school with me ended up flunking out yeah. and they were so talented and so good at what they did, but because it didn't fit the, the like what, what the art world is doing at the time, according to the art department. They were like, okay, no, 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 this, you're clearly not cut out for it. Yeah. And that was very much what was sort of the impression that I got, was very much like, oh, you know, you're doing art school, but you're quite lackluster. Like, mm, maybe this whole art, I was actually told when I signed up, because I was I was like, I'm not sure, I'm going to do a triple major. And, the, and the, the head of the art department was like, well, if you're not sure, then art is clearly not for you. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah. So once I finished, I hadn't done as well as I'd hoped, even though I'd worked so, so hard, so hard, like hours and hours and hours extra than everyone else. And I felt so disappointed. So, yeah, when I got the opportunity to go overseas, I was like, well, the degree was not useful. Let me go teach English overseas. Like, let me just throw everything in the, oh, well, that happened, but... It's something I just did. And yeah, I I didn't draw or paint or anything for the next five years. Wow. Yeah.
0: I've heard about the scarring of art school. I mean, yes. I've, I've experienced a little bit myself. Yes, and <laughs> I think also it depends at what time you were at an art school. Yes. There was a sense that art schools were kind of, they were calling the shots in the art world. But I think a lot yes. has shifted. Yes, and, absolutely. And, you know, as someone who does work sort of part time at art schools, I think that thing has the shift happen. has shifted, and it's been hard work to get it to shift. Yes, because these things, especially in time. academic spaces, they're very slow to yes. sort of make the shift.
1: Yeah, I must say what you're saying seems feels very rings very true for me because it was very much like at school you're taught okay, well you're gonna you're gonna do art, but then when you get to university, they'll teach you everything you need to know, and then you get there. Well, when my experience was, you got there, and then they were like. Oh yeah, no, like so if you whatever you want to do, you just figure it out or ask one of the other arts. Like there was no hard skills taught. Yeah. So I felt so lost being like I'm I'm 18, 19. I don't know what I want. I'm I'm just a baby. I have no idea. And they're like, "Oh, but by the time you finish, you're going to have your own like, you know, style and everything." I was like, "No. I <laughs> I left and I was like, "Oh, I feel like such a failure cuz like I didn't do well and, like, I didn't get come out and, like, get snapped up by a gallery and show immediately at Cape Town Art Fair or, yeah. you know. So it was a long, long, long road to get where I am now. But... Yeah all part of the fiery crucible I suppose
0: so what got you back to to dr- yeah. to drawing I mean yeah. like how do you how do you like say right that was a, a bin that like, yeah bin that let's trust and me then else. have two amazingly successful
1: solo shows you <laughs> <Yeah>. know time <laughs> and so I did the yeah the the classic let's go find myself overseas so like I said taught I, I did the teaching English I did the au pairing I did the I did the PGCE so I could actually go and like be a teacher overseas. Cause I was like, if I don't know what I want to do, I might as well not know in a foreign country where I'm earning money. and can travel all the time. And I was kind of gearing up for that. And current studio partner, uh, his name is Matt. And he like, obviously he's been, he's engaged to my sister. They've you know been partnered for a long, long time. And I've always like really relied on him as like another artist who I can soundboard off. And he came back from lecturing at Stellenbosch University, pinhole photography, to the illustration course there. Uh-huh. And he came back and he was like, Jess, I know you've finished your teaching degree. You've got a job that lined up and you're you're going to spend a year here and then you're going overseas. But I found I've come across this course. You have to do it. And I yeah. was like, hmm illustration really like mm, you know yeah, it's you got turn, such a dirty word if you've I, been through fine arts, exactly art. and it's like oh very lowbrow like like mm, i don't think so and but i'd been trying to draw for a few months by that point i was really struggling you know you sit down blank sheet of paper inevitable nervous breakdown cry <laughs> throw it away keep some throw away the rest and he was like no just apply like what's the worst that can happen so i emailed the course and i was like hi i'm interested. And then promptly forgot because I was like, there's no way. And then next thing I get a phone call, they're like, hi, it's the day before the closing day. Don't you want to submit a portfolio? And I was like, "Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not emotionally prepared for this. And again, Matt was like, nah, come on. Let's just take some pictures of your stuff. Just, just do it. And I was like, okay, fine. So obviously I start pulling all like the really not so great, like very, middle of the road drawings. And he's like, no, this and this and this is all the weird stuff that I'd like really wanted to bin. And yeah, and then, yeah, I think on the second week of December, I get the ma- the email, you're in. Wow. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Now I have to go back to study. I have to quit a job. I haven't even started. Um, and I'm going to go to university at the same time as my baby sister's eight years younger than. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) She was very unimpressed. I was really stomping all over her coming of age moment, but (laughs) she appreciated it in the end. So yeah, I I studied illustration at Stellenbosch University and it was a revelation. Um, Very skills-based. I think I was so appreciative because I'd come, I'd come through art school, gone out into the real world, realized how hard it is to have Access to facilities, have access to libraries, academic readings, people who have knowledge and skills. Yeah. So I think the break was the main thing that made me so motivated. Cause I was like, I know what it's like to have a, like an office job where all you do is reply to emails. I've done the whole, you know, teach kindergarten, the ABCs. And I was like, this is what I want. Like, I was like, I want this. I've never wanted anything more in my entire life. Yeah. And I worked like a dog for an entire year. Cause, and everyone was like, when do you socialize? And I was like, no, listen, this is an opportunity that like I'm never going to get again.
0: So, so this was the honors. Or the, the honors, yeah, honors. The, honors, the honors program. Honors in illustration. Yeah,
1: and it was amazing. So it was really like a really big revelation for me to, to go to back to study and to do something that was so skills focused. Yeah, and I finished and I tried to, you know, do the whole have a job, work on it on the side and that lasted a couple months. And I was like, nah, I'm going to give this a real go. And then, yeah, it's all kind of slowly from there, got introduced to Monique at salon 91 And then throughout that experience, you know, submitted more and more work. And then just before COVID hit, actually, the other gallery uh, uh, co-curator was my gym partner. And oh. she mentioned that she was like, oh, by the way, like, we're looking for someone. Would you want to come on? And I was like, nah. Nah, not for me. Thank you. Like I'm going to continue to just like have my studio and work. And yet again, Matt came along and he was like, "Don't be an idiot." He's like, "Go work at the gallery. Get the experience, make the contacts. He's like, "Who knows? Like who knows where that can go?" Yeah. And that for me was a major 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 highlight in my career was getting to see the business side of of, you know, the the art world, getting to see so the this sales. So this was working at Salon. Yeah, so I worked at Salon 91 for two years. So throughout the COVID pandemic, it was really eye-opening. It was wonderful as well. I met so many great people. I got to really have a good look at how other people run their practices, how other people are engaged with their creativity, how other people manage like the the need and drive to create and balance it with the the need to pay bills at the end of the month. And Get works delivered on time, so that was really incredible. Yeah, and that's kind of how it all kind of came about. Yeah,
0: amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost like after having gone overseas, you sort of fast track. You came back and like yeah,
1: <laughs> took a took the blue pill, or yes, whatever it was, absolutely. and like fast tracked it. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me, I think mainly because I my older just always known what she wanted to do. Like she was making Barbie dresses since she was like four. Like she wanted to be a fashion designer from the jump. And I remember just in my early 20s being so jealous because yeah. I was like, I just want that sort of
0: drive. Conviction.
1: conviction, yeah, exactly. This conviction, not only that something is so right for you, but that you can actually give it a go and go for it. So I was always wildly jealous. <laughs> and and I think when I finally found that thing, after feeling so lost for so long, I, I knew I had to, I was like, I cannot be distracted. I can't let this opportunity slide because I've seen what it's like to kind of just float along and, you know, get your paycheck and mentally check out. And I was like, I really want to do something that's meaningful and that matters. And that for me has been the biggest driving force for my creativity is the ambition to keep pushing to see how far this can go.
0: Yeah, and and keep pushing. I mean, I think one of the things I've, I've really enjoyed is the way that you know you you work on a 2D you make paintings yes. but now you've moved into um folk furniture Yes, folk furniture yes. and then your ceramics are yes. also an absolute delight oh, thank i mean you. I, I popped by um the pottery studio and, I, yes. and oh. the, um my son was totally taken with some of the we saw one of your yes. ceramics and glaze oh, <laughs> Yeah, they're quite magical. Oh, so, I mean, you. that sculptural aspect is also a nice shift.
1: Yeah, so what's wild is that my undergraduate degree was in sculpture. Oh, really? Yeah. But going to Sitting Duck, that's run by Lucy, who's an absolute gem, such a delight. Um, her studio is incredible. Yeah, for me, I went to her studio for to do some work for my previous show, just some small little ceramic pieces just to kind of feel it out. And it was the first time I'd worked with clay as a sculptural art form. Really? And I, yeah, and I studied sculpture. Amazing. <laughs> wow. I mean, listen, I can, I can make a really good mold, like a silicon mold. I'm your girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was the first time working with that kind of medium and it was amazing. Like what's been so nice is kind of my brain's always been very good at like the 3D aspect. So when I look at my scenes, I think of them in the three dimension. Okay. But to kind of take things that I'm looking at and being like, this can be realized in the in 3D has been really cool. So I'm really, I love the ceramics. They're just really fun and i've let i've really focused on having the ceramics be just for me obviously i put them on show but i'm really focused on like if i see something outrageous like a good reference i'm like i'm gonna make and the one the my favorite one to date was the crocodile wrestling a snake yes that's
0: the one yes. we saw actually <laughs> at Lucy studio yes. yes and
1: it's like an old um like vintage scientific illustration And I was like, I just I love this. I love the way it looks. I love how dynamic it is. And I was like, I have to make
0: this. (laughs) But that's a very rare skill. I mean, you know, usually people who work in 2D... you know, a painting on a on a on a mm. surface are kind of locked into the material and compositional aspects of that. But the fact that you think three dimensionally means you can move from seeing a two D reference reference image into the three D. That's that's quite a rare skill, yeah, I think. I'm, I yeah, I think I think I'm quite lucky. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, I, it's yeah, being a very very visual person and having like a very visual mind has been a really big bonus. Um, yeah. I had no idea that no one else thought like this until a friend of mine was like, wait, so you see in pictures? And I was like, yes, don't you? And she's like, no, I see in words. Like her brain only does words. Oh, right. And I was like, oh, so that's a thing. So that's, yeah. Yeah, and I had no idea. It's
0: very true. Isn't it? It's wonderful when one comes, you have to brush up against other
1: people to sort of realize your own... Um, weaknesses and strengths. Yeah, I exactly. Yeah. And that's been that's been really interesting for me because I, I got a late diagnosis for ADHD. Oh. Yeah. And that was crazy to me because finally someone was like, oh, but like what all the ways that your brain work and the ways that you work and the ways that you are very forgetful and inattentive, like they're like, there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why you struggle to make for so long. And that was mainly ADHD because my brain just is wired differently to most normal people. And I think that acceptance of like, okay, I've just got to work with what I've got has really been a driving factor for the way in which I've set my studio up and the way in which I work. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yes, because,
0: you know, again, dealing with the stereotype of someone with ADHD, you don't imagine them to be hyper-organized. Yes.
1: So that's something that was wildly interesting is that um, women are far more likely to get a late... ADHD diagnosis, because women are more likely to present as inattentive rather than hyperactive. So if you've got kids in a class and there's a boy who's being loud and can't sit in a seat and he is hyperactive or whatever, he is far more likely to be singled out and be like, okay, he needs to go see someone, need to check if there's maybe ADHD, as opposed to women who present as inattentive. So you're more likely to be forgetful, you know, daydreaming and you're So socialized to be quiet and, you know, sit quietly and you're more likely to not be like, you it's more likely to be passed over as someone who has ADHD. And interestingly, you know, the daydreamy,
0: forgetful woman who needs the
1: man to look after her. Like, it's almost a, a gender stereotype. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like, oh, no, you live in your own fairy land. Oh, she's just forgetful. Like, and then as you hit puberty you're more likely to present as anxious. And that was me. So I was always very, very anxious. And it was like, oh, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's just a very anxious time. Yeah. And then it's you just l- your hormones. Your hormones really. are going crazy. And now I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, no, it was, I used to forget that there were tests. <laughs> like, oh, gosh. They'd be like, oh, I'm so scared for the math test today. I'm like, what test? Like, oh. Like, and then, but then also the flip side of it is that if you're interested in something, you can hyper focus on it and for me that was that's a superpower superpower but also huge problem so i'd sit in my history class with my textbook and then have a novel in front of it because i was like i want to finish this book from now, the, from english class before. yeah 100 and also like even now i have to be so careful about what media i consume so whether it's series or books because if i get sucked in i can't do anything else it's like we are on this train and i can only get off when we reach the station. So when I'm prepping for a show, I'm like, I can only do low stakes, TV, nothing bingeable. It's like one episode and we're done. Yeah. Because otherwise I can think about nothing else. So, yeah, it's a double edged sword. So, but again, it's yeah. just about
0: working with the strengths. I think, yes. You know, a lot of, in a way, a lot of who you are and what your work is about is overturning these stereotypes. Yes. these These inherited ideas of what who women are. Yes. What a cat person, person is. is, yeah, um, and and also that someone with ADHD, you know, can't concentrate. And, yes, you know, so I think it's a really power. You know, your presence in the world is a very powerful <laughs> sort of flag to all of these things. Sort of say, hey, well, you know, actually,
1: things can be very different. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's possibly the nicest thing anyone's ever seen. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's for me. It's been really powerful to kind of have someone it's like someone walking into your home and turning the lights on and being like oh look and you're like oh wow okay like this is how my house looks like it it's from seeing it from the outside it's that like idea that's like how have I never known that this is how my brain works because it's so hardwired into everything I do yeah and I've kind of had to develop all the coping strategies and all the things without any support and now that I have it it's like yeah, I mean, I know people talk about like they're very nervous about getting onto medication. because They're like, how is it going to affect my creativity? And for me, it was like I've been sitting in a dark room and someone opened the curtains. It was um, like, life-changing. I think that's what's also helped me be so productive and ambitious is that I have the support now that I've had to kind of provide for myself. Yeah, um, And that's been really, really powerful for me. Um so yeah I'm always a big advocate for yes go to therapy get the get the diagnosis it might be scary but get the medication find the thing that helps you support your creative dream yeah I'm I'm a big believer in yeah if you need therapy go to therapy if you need medication get medication if you need to find that one thing that helps motivate your creative passion whether that's a sport or a hobby or whatever like you've got to do it because you have to nourish the the context that your creativity comes from, yeah, yeah, amazing. <laughs> my mom would be so proud because whenever I was in a bad mood or having a bad time, she'd be like, "Have you exercised today?" <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, now and now for me, like anytime someone's like, "I'm just having a really hard time," it's like, "Have you exercised? <laughs> Have you slept? <laughs> Have you had some water? When was the last time you did your hobby?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, i'm yeah, my mom would be thrilled to know that that's the the advice that I'm passing on into <laughs> the world. <laughs> Yeah.
0: Well, it's been. Um, it may have been received when you were younger, but it's been. It has been hard won in your yes. in your
1: life. And yes, I finally. I've come. I've come to the the acceptance that like yes, we are basically house plants with very complicated emotions. We need sunlight. We need water. And yeah, occasionally we need to go outside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh Jess, it's been so wonderful oh. talking to you. Do you wanna tell us
1: about your your the drink you chose? It had an yes, incredible name. It was a something highball, a mile the mile highball. It um it was delightful and refreshing considering I really didn't expect it to be this warm today. No. <laughs> so it definitely had like a grapefruit something, definitely had a tequila something in it. It was delightful and refreshing. I will probably go have another one. (laughs) I mean, it's Friday. It is Friday. Yeah, I mean, I closed up my laptop at studio. I packed everything away and I was like, it's a long weekend. (laughs) I I am a woman who is single, has zero responsibilities except four cats to feed. So really, (laughs) the world is my oyster. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much. Natasha, thank you so much for having me.